People are coming back in. I don't know about you, but I already feel that I've been to church this morning. I'd like to thank the trio this morning. It was a blessing. God, the, the word says God inhabits the praises of his people, and I feel God's presence this morning. And so, first thing you probably noticed, I'm not Jamie. And I agree, I love sitting under the preaching of Jamie, but we're just going to keep on going, Ed. So, Wow, how do I recover from that? Okay. Anyway, Jamie and his family are in Arizona, and they went out to spend the 4th of July with uh, Micah who is uh, in, in the Army training. So please pray for their mercies. And they um, are together as a family. And so, so today we are going to continue into the book of Luke. And we are in Luke 7. And if um, you have the Pew Bible, it's in page 864. We're looking at Luke chapter 7, 36 to 50. A sinful woman is forgiven. So let's read. I'm going to read all the scripture. I'm going to take a time of prayer because I need prayer. And then we're going to jump into it and see what the Lord has for us this morning. So Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman in the city, of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing beside him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they would not pay, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. 
And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this? Even forgives sins. And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Dear Heavenly Father, as we approach this word, I just ask your presence to be with us. I ask that you soften the hearts of, of, of your people, Lord. I ask that you speak through me. I have nothing to say to your people, Lord, but you do. I ask that if anything untrue would come out of my lips, that you would stop them before they come out. And above all, Lord, that you would, be, you would have praise and be honored through this text. In the name of Jesus, amen. Just a quick side note. Is I'm hearing a lot of, do I need to lower this? Raise it up. We have new technology this morning. So, okay. So, back to Luke chapter 7. We need to look at this in, in the context of all of chapter 7. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the centurion's servant and, and how the centurion came to Jesus for one of his servants was sick. And he didn't even feel worthy enough to come to Jesus, and he sent his servant one of his other servants to heal the man. And Jesus spoke the word and he was healed. So we saw Jesus has authority to heal. And also note as a sidebar, he was a Gentile. So Jesus loves the Gentiles too. And then next we saw that Jesus raised the widow's son from death. And so Jesus has the power not only to heal, but Jesus has authority and power over life and death itself. And then last week, we looked at how uh, John the Baptist was confused. He was in, in prison, and he was expecting Christ to, to come in, in, in his glory. And he had a lot of doubt. And he sent his disciples to ask, are you the one? Are you really the Messiah? And as you remember last week, Jesus assured John and eased his doubts and Jesus made this statement, which is very important for today's sermon. In verse 28, he says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And he, uh, Jamie expanded on that last week, because I always thought, John, John the Baptist, and he's the greatest yet the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And what we talked about is John was the greatest because John was able to meet and touch Jesus. Throughout the Old Testament prophets, God gave a glimpse to the prophets of the coming Messiah. But John was actually able to see and touch Jesus. Yet John did not live to see the completed work of Jesus. Remember, he was beheaded. And so God has revealed to us what God has hidden from the Old Testament prophets. If you think about that, that's, that's kind of heavy. That God has, we live in a time that God has shown us what was hidden throughout the ages to the prophets. So in context of chapter 7, how great John was, but the least in the, in the kingdom of God is greater than John. 
So I hope to show you that this sinful woman that we just read about, once she was forgiven, is the greatest miracle of all in chapter 7 of, of Luke. So Jesus has the authority to heal both the body and the soul. And this is, I, is I hope, what we see. So the title of my sermon is, Jesus has the authority to heal the body and the soul. And we're going to look at this at four sections. The first is the setting, which is verse 36 to 38. Then we're going to talk about the Pharisees' reaction, verse 39. Jesus' explanation of what's going on, and then finally the results. So that is a background. Let's look at chapter 7, verse 36 and 38 to 38 again. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who is a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed her feet and anointed them with the ointment. So, we have, we need to talk about this scene. Reclining at the table. Are you sure it needs to be higher or lower? I'm getting a lot of feedback. What's that? So, is that better or worse? Okay. We need to talk about this setting. You know, we, we read about reclining at the table. And it was common in those days to have a formal, a formal uh, meal and invite guests. And these meals were served in open courtyards. If you were wealthy enough to have, have a courtyard, um, so they were kind of open to the public, and that's why the woman could just come in. And within the courtyard, the guests would lay down on their left side, and their feet would be out. To us, it's kind of odd. Why are they eating laying down? But it would be a very long meal, and while they had the meal, they'd have many courses, and um, the people would, uh, like the rabbi would talk, and so it was a social gathering too. So it was customary for this, for the wealthy to do these things. And, but it was also customary when a guest would come in, the, um, the host of, of the meal usually did three things. He would greet each, each guest with a kiss of peace which is you know, an Eastern custom, and we still see this sometimes on TV, um, that when, when they come together, they kiss each other on the cheek. That was the custom. They would provide a wash basin to wash their feet and a towel, or they would have their servant, one of their servants to do this. And this was considered one of the very lowest jobs of a servant to wash others' feet. As you know, they wore open sandals, it was very dirty. Um, dusty. So when they, when they come in, it was customary to give this grace um, to your guest. And then finally, they would put perfume on the head. As you know, ancient um, times does not have the same hygiene we have, um, being in temperate weather. And so 
being in an enclosed space, they had put perfume on the head so it'd smell better. So, but none of these things were done for Jesus. So then I asked myself, why did the why did this Pharisee even invite Jesus? He didn't give him the social graces. Well, it, it, the scripture doesn't say 100% why, but there's a couple assumptions we can have by reading the, the scripture. You know, they were looking at Jesus. The Pharisees were looking at Jesus. At this point, it's not totally antagonistic yet. So they're trying to figure out who Jesus was, get a better understanding of him. Could have been, you know, they're getting at the point that they were get, Jesus was getting in their way. Was he looking at a way to trip him up? We don't know. The scripture doesn't tell us. But we know that he was there. And this unnamed woman heard that Jesus was there, and she came to him. So what do we know about this woman? It says she was a lady of the city, and it says she was a sinner. Now, this word as a sinner in the Greek, not in the sense that we're all sinners, but the Greek word means that she was especially wicked. So most commentators thought that she was a prostitute. And again, that would make her uh, a low, low in the society, lowest part of their society. But this lowly woman brought an alabaster flask of ointment. So this alabaster is like marble, but a little softer, so they could carve it. And she had this perfumed oil or perfumed ointment in it. It was saved for special occasions, and it was very costly. And she came into Jesus' presence, and she began weeping in his, in his presence. So this reminds me of Matthew 5, 4, when it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In the presence of Jesus, it is natural to weep over one's sin. This is what repentance is, that you know you're a sinner. This woman knew that she was a sinner, and she was weeping over her sins. That's why she was weeping at the feet of Jesus. She was not only weeping, but she used her own hair to dry his feet. It was also customary at, the, at that time that the women would wear their hair up. And you would only put your hair down in the presence of, of your husband. And so, again, this was something more degrading that the Pharisees would see. But in her humility, she didn't care about that. She was worshiping Jesus. So she used her own hair to dry his feet. And then she kissed his feet and, and anointed them with that very expensive oil. So that's this, the setting. That's what we see um, through uh, verse 38. And that's why she was there why Simon, the Pharisee, had Jesus there. And what was Simon's reaction? We'll read, we read this in 39. Now when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. See, the Pharisees, they approached God in their own righteousness. And for a Pharisee to touch a prostitute, that would be considered to make him unclean by their religious laws. And for the Pharisee, this was just, you know, very belittling 
if Jesus says who he is, and if he's truly a prophet, why would he touch this woman? Why would he allow this woman to touch him? A prostitute. He's unclean now. That's just, ugh. It was his reaction. But Jesus knows Simon's heart. And then Jesus corrected Simon. But I also like the way Jesus approached him. He approaches his, his correction by telling him, a, prof, by telling him a, a parable. You know, there are many times when Jesus would lambast the Pharisees. You know, just lay into them. You're a brood of vipers, but not this time. He gives a gentle yet effective rebuke. And that's what we see in verse 40. And Jesus answered him and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and, gave, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my hair with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. So knowing what Simon's heart was and how he was looking at the scene in disgust and correcting him. And he tells him that the, the story. So when he talks about 50 denarii and 100 or 500 denarii, being the geek I am, I had to figure that out in today's money. So a denarii or denarii was a common man's one day wage. So I got online and I looked at the annual uh, average income for Miami County and it was right around $35,000 a year, which comes out to about $16 an hour. So 16 um, by 50, the one that owed the lease was 6,500 by today's standard for the common working man. And the other common working man owed 500 in RI, which is 65,000 you know, a couple years worth of wages. Well, clearly both of these could not afford to pay the, the debtor back. So this person canceled both. And then G Jesus asked him, which one loves him more? And you hear his, well, I suppose, I think he knew which one. I think he was had a little bit. So he said the one with the larger debt. So yes, he got the, he got the, the point. And then he goes on to say, he turns to the woman, but he's really speaking to, to Simon. 
do you see this woman? And he goes through how she anointed me. She, she did all this. So who, who, loved, who loved him the most? Well, how did the woman come to Jesus? The woman came to Jesus with repentance. We saw what he says there then. She stood at his feet behind him weeping in verse 38. And then she kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. As I said before, when she was weeping, those were tears from her repentance. And not only repentance, but works of love. She loved Jesus, so she had these works of love. But how did Jesus receive the sinful woman? Well, he approved what she was doing, and we see that in verse 44. As he turns to Simon, do you see this woman? This is what she has done for me. She gave me a kiss. She gave me all these things. She, Jesus approved them. And then finally, she, Jesus says, thy sins are forgiven. So when you approach Jesus in repentance, he approves you and he forgives you. And then he assured her. In verse 50, says, thy faith has healed thee. How do you like to hear that from Jesus? That assurance. Your faith has healed you. And then he commissioned her. And this is really a picture of the gospel. When we come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness, he forgives us, he sure assures us, and then he commissions us to go out. Go in peace. But how do you see Jesus? How are you approaching Jesus? Do you see Jesus as the Pharisee? Is your interest in Jesus idle curiosity? Or some, is your, is your interest in Jesus coming to examine him before you make a commitment yourself? How do you see Jesus? Perhaps you're looking to disprove Jesus as Simon may have been. So again, how do you see Jesus? Or do you see Jesus as a sinful woman? Have you weeped at the feet of Jesus over your sins? If not, today is the day. See, we are all sinners, just as this woman was. Romans 3.23 tells us, For we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Have you made Jesus your Lord? If not, let today be that day. Admit that you're a sinner and ask Jesus for your forgiveness. For if you do this, Romans 10, 9 tells us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Well, what about those who have been in Christ for years? And this is where when I was looking this up, I got convicted. Did you come this morning as a sinful woman came? Many times I don't. She came to worship Jesus, didn't she? She didn't care about any social norms. She didn't care that she wouldn't be invited in, his, in the um, Pharisee's house. She came full bore. She came to worship Jesus. She worshiped him with honor. She worshiped him with adoration. She worshiped through serving him. She worshiped Jesus with extravagant love. 
Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Now, I want to make it clear. Her sins weren't forgiven because of everything she did for him. She did all these acts of kindness and love because she was forgiven. I want to make that clear. She worshiped Jesus with extravagant love. So I ask you that this morning. And that, as I said, you know, I'm preaching to myself. I come Sunday after Sunday. But do I come with extravagant love every Sunday? Many times not. But God is gracious. He knows us. He is always there to accept us. As we sang this morning, our sins are many, but His mercy is more. Just keep coming. Keep plugging through. Your Christian walk, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Keep on keeping on. So, what is the result of all this? Verse 48 says, And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Now, as I was reading all the commentators, they all said this is perfect tense. And I know my high school English teacher is not going to be happy with me, but I don't know what the perfect tense is. That's why I went into sciences. I don't like all that reading stuff. But all the commentators made a big deal out of it, so I had to, to look it up. The perfect tense is an action completed for a specific point in time in the past with results continuing into the present. So when she was forgiven, it was because of an action in the past that continues in the present, and it's the same for us. What does this mean? Salvation is the work of Christ alone, and our reception of that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. So when we are forgiven, when Christ says you are forgiven, that present tense, meaning what happened on the cross, is happening today for you. It's in the present tense, in the perfect tense. So Jesus makes this announcement to, to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Well, verse 49, then those who were with, with him at the table began to say among themselves, who is this? who even forgives sins. Well, if we look at our study in the book of Luke, that was, um, that was answered in Luke 5, verse 17. We looked at it a month ago. When, the, when um, the friends brought the paralytic and, and put him down through the roof, and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And they're like, who are you to forgive sins? And Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. The proof that he could forgive sins is he has the power over the body. And we all saw that, saw that in the beginning of chapter 7, which we were looking at the last couple weeks. He healed the centurion's servant. He raised, he raised the widow's son. So, well, all this was answered. They're thinking in their mind, how can he do that? But Jesus doesn't answer them, does he? Jesus doesn't answer the skeptics. The doubters, were all, the doubters will always doubt. And that's what we looked at last week when we said, we played the flute for you and you did not sing or dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. There's a time to celebrate and you won't celebrate. There's a time to, to, to be serious, you won't be serious. You don't, you people don't believe what I am. So Jesus doesn't need to answer those. 
His, his miracles are evidence enough. So when she says this, but she knew, the woman knew, because Jesus can heal the body and the soul. And when she said, your sins are forgiven, she knew in her heart. Romans 8.16 tells us, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Which brings me back to my original premise. The forgiveness of this sinful woman is the greatest miracle of the seventh chapter of Luke. He has authority over your soul more than your body. So Jesus heals the body and Jesus heals the soul. So, you, so please, come to Jesus for complete healing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your time to worship this morning. We thank you for your presence. We thank you, Lord, that we can come to you as this sinful woman can come to you. Help us, Lord, not to be like the Pharisee and to be judgmental and say, what is this and what is that? But help us to, to receive Christ as this woman did, to love with abandon, and to know that my and our sins are forgiven, not only now, but forevermore. And we can be with the right relationship with you through that. And I just thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, if it's today or forever, or forever ago, your sins are forgiven. And that's what we read once more in Luke 7, 48. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. So please join us in our last song. <laughs>